Rewind is brought to you by Press Play to Continue and recorded in the great city and state of Austin, Texas, also known as the live music capital of the world. It is written, produced, and edited by none other than me, Corey Latimer. If you'd like to show your support by keeping Press Play to Continue weird, head on over to my Patreon at pressplaytocontinue slash patreon.com. I sincerely thank you for your love, support, and kindness that you've shown me. It lets me know I'm actually going down the right path in life. Thank you. Now, on to the show. Well, welcome. It is November 2019, and today for episode four, press play to continue, rewind, we'll be talking about Blade Runner. And the reason being behind that is the fact that it actually took place in November of 2019. Blade Runner is no longer... I guess in a sense, uh, it's not a futuristic movie by any means, because we're here now, and today I want to, I guess, compare and contrast between what was predicted in 1982 and then as well as in today's time. So to start out, it is, yeah, none other than uh, November of 2019. It's in LA. That's where it's taking place. It's in a state of urban decay, and the population has dwindled, and the humans face a new threat from manufactured biological robots gone rogue. Now, these rogue, you know, robots are called replicants. And actually, today's headline compared to what was stated in Blade Runner. There is no compare. <laughs> There's no comparison by any means. It's definitely not as dystopian related by any means. So, for instance, I'll, I'll just read you because I, I was curious by today's headlines of, you know, of L.A. Times. And uh, actually it reads as followed. Homeless people are soaked, but L.A. won't open winter shelters until December. That's messed up. <laughs> That's messed up. Okay. I don't understand why. And just, you know, just a couple more. Rapper <laughs> ASAP Rocky becomes an unlikely star. I put, the, I put, put that in quotations. Take that lightly. Of impeachment inquiry. I mean, should I continue? <laughs> there's like, there's, I don't even know why that is, you know, between a rapper and then going into like a politic, pol- political position, it just doesn't add up to me. I know everybody has their opinion and their political opinion, sure, but like, I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't mold well, by any means. And I I don't like politics to begin with, to be honest. And I I think it actually it just divides people. Uh, so I kind of stay out of it. So I'm not a big fan of it, but uh, just another quick headline for the for you know for current times. 
is Michelle Obama wins a if she wins a Grammy, which is I think I guess apparently is coming up soon, she'll be in good White House company. That was the last headline on, <laughs> on today's L.A. Times. Like I said, it's a far fetched uh, you know comparison to what uh, was depicted in 1982 of Blade Runner. But, you know, that being said, Blade Runner, like I said, was taking place in 1982. And, you know, some ways in the real 2019, they they kind of do meet in some particular areas. You know, such as like what I mean, like, honestly, what is real? Is it the uh, is it the idea of feeling? Breathing, tasting, acknowledging pictures from your past, you know, being self-aware there's some of the main topic points within the movie itself and even in obviously into reality i i wonder that occasionally like not occasionally it's more like all the time like why am i here and all this kind of stuff but that's a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother topic maybe for a future podcast but as of right now i'm going to say is is the original film follows rick deckard okay who is played by harrison ford Whose job mainly is a police, he's a, bl- a police blade runner and is to hunt, kill bioengineered androids known as replicants, okay? And like I, like I pretty much what I was mentioning earlier. And so these so-called replicants are, I guess, are in this one particular group known as Nexus 6, right? And they're pretty much described as virtually identical to humans, Um which is very interesting as far as like a plot point is concerned. Um, very inventive for, you know, especially back in 1982 uh, from Ridley Scott. He was the director behind Blade Runner and he, his list goes on with how many movies he has under his belt. Another one just off the top of my head, obviously, is uh, Alien, like the Alien series. And then he did Prometheus not too long ago. I mean, that follows suit with Alien, but man, Prometheus, if you haven't checked that out, highly recommend that movie if you like sci-fi and all that kind of good stuff. But I guess obviously I'm recommending Blade Runner as well because I'm doing a actual podcast on it. So there you go. But yeah, I mean, kind of going back to what I was saying was these Nexus 6 replicants like I said, were described as identical, almost to humans. And then within my research, actually, DeepMind, a sister company to Google, has created the first agents. Put those in quotations. And believe it or not, I guess they were testing it on the market within um, this this real-time strategy-based game called StarCraft Two. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's Blizzard Entertainment uh, developed in... Uh, created starcraft as well as the biggest one i guess under their company name would be you know world of warcraft but yeah so now our ai is isn't as sophisticated by any means or developed as say someone like pris so pris is one of the the replicants the one of the main replicants within nexus 6 who was played by Daryl Hannah. And she was also, 
I think she was in. Well, for, I definitely saw the first Kill Bill, and I know she was in that after rewatching it a few times. But I never saw the second one. But apparently, she's also in Volume Two of Kill Bill, and she's like your basic pleasure model. In a sense, I guess she's like a sex robot, um, which is very odd to me. <laughs> I've never been down that market by any means. Um, but yeah, the, they have. You know, the real-world robotic sex dolls may lack an inner life, but they're becoming more interactive. And I guess more attractive. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Because they're really prolific over there in Europe uh, within their brothel system, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, that's within my apparent research anyways. That's that's what it's come to. Um. But yeah, another thing that Ridley Scott got right, um, you know, within Blade Runner was the video calling. It became like mainstream. And Deckard's video call to Rachel, who played was played by Sean Young, uh, is an example of where to you know today's tech really shines. Allegedly, the first actual developments of the video telephone began in the late 1920s. Which I honestly was not aware of. I didn't know we even had that tech or that those capabilities back in that time. But that's, you know, in the roaring 20s. Wow. Okay. You know, we got uh, the guy, you know, Alexander Graham Bell. I guess, obviously, it was affiliated with AT&T, the company. It's also called Bell Labs at the time, I guess. And so unlike Blade Runner, it does not... <laughs> If you notice within Blade Runner itself, by the way, this is a big spoiler podcast episode. I hope you are realizing this at this point, but, um, you know, the movie was released in 1982. So if you haven't, if you haven't watched it by now, uh, you might want to, you might want to do that, you know, so, <laughs> But I was going to say, yeah, the, the video that was, um, that Deckard was trying to call to, uh, Rachel, she's, uh, you'll later find out she is also a replicant, but she, I mean, he called, he calls her in the movie and it clearly depicts that the phone, the video call was a dollar 25, which was insane. But yeah, so I, I mentioned that Blade Runner, did I also, I just want to let you know that I also mentioned i think maybe not i didn't mention it either way but i mentioned that you know blade runner had a 30 million dollar budget but at the same time it only rates in 32.9 million which is unfortunate because i'm a big fan of the movie and i i i, I like the fact that hollywood still somehow pushed this movie into existence um, you know, and, and you know, I, that, this could be another episode, but Blade Runner 2049, that's a sequel to this movie. It somehow managed to, you know, find its way back into the market, the series, which I'm very thankful for because 2049 is just as great. I think they did a very good job with that movie. Um, but yeah, I, just another note, some notable movies that, you know, was in contention with Blade Runner, I guess, uh, was, you know, Star Trek too, The Wrath of Khan. That was a huge movie. Um, I've never seen it, but apparently that's like the best Star Trek one or movie out of the whole series. 
But yeah, there was also Poltergeist, E.T., and The Secret of Nim. And I believe that's a Don Bluth film. Uh, Don Bluth is like this major creator guy that actually came from Disney. And he has developed his own studio. Um, and he brought a, a few other Disney guys that were working strictly for Disney. They had like a, kind of a big falling out. But go look that up. That's, it's a very interesting story about Don Bluth. And also The Thing. That's the uh, other sci-fi film with Kurt Russell in it. If you haven't seen that movie, that's a very great movie as well. But all these movies, that's crazy. All these movies that came out in the summer of 82 back in June. Think about that. That's like a that's an amazing summer. All these movies coming out. And nowadays, I don't feel like that you don't get those blockbuster hits like you used to. I mean, I could be wrong on that fact because nostalgic is just speaking at the moment, but who knows. But yeah, so uh you know, Blade Runner Something, you know, that Ridley Scott got wrong within Blade Runner, sorry, um, was flying cars, right? Throughout the whole movie, you see flying cars, and many films have depicted, depict, I'm sorry, depicted flying cars in the future, while progress has been made on the concept of the flying car. It, you know, we're still unfamiliar with the idea of what they could be, or what could become of them. So yes, and unfortunately, the planet is changing on us in some way. What's depicted actually in Blade Runner is a dim-lit, futuristic L.A. dystopia, which I think I mentioned that as well earlier. The skies are dark, and the city has been damaged by industrial pollution, forcing many to skip town. Uh, so like, I know people from L.A., like a few of them, and like they're always telling me how for one, to how terrible the you know the pollution is, the it's it's a lot more hazy apparently in some parts of LA, which suck. So I guess the breathing quality, you know, that you know the air quality is not great to breathe in. And um, I guess they're they're enhancing what I just told you even further within the within Blade Runner. But yeah, that's it's it's I don't I don't. I, I actually was thinking about moving to LA at one point in my life, but I think that's kind of a far reach notion at this point. But yeah, and so I you know, I already mentioned one of the replicants, Pris, right? But there's also Leon who is considered the, the actual test subject within Nexus six. So yeah, there was also Roy Batty, who is played by Rugger Hauer. I think Hauer. I think I'm saying that correctly. I could be way off base on that, but unfortunately, he passed away this year, July 19th. I think he was 75. Um, great actor, really good. Um, he really, man, he brought it, especially in this movie. He, I think he was also in the. I think there's like another horror flick he was in. It's called like The Hatchet, I think, or The Hatcher, something like that. And he was actually the so-called leader of Nexus 6. His name, I mean, his character's name was Roy Batty in the movie. And so there was also Zora, who is considered the actual, uh, you know, the stripper, or I guess she's kind of like the main mainstream um, replicant, I guess, in a sense, because that's where... Uh, Deckard finds finds her in a strip club, and so yeah, you pretty much when she's when he's like questioning her, 
um, about holes. He says, yeah, I got these mischievous, like mischievous holes within uh, your room and all that kind of good stuff. And then they kind of get into a confliction and, oh yeah, you do get to see your, um, <laughs> you get to see your boobs. So that's kind of cool, especially from a guy standpoint. And, um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then we also have Eldon Tyrell, you know, he's the CEO of the company that creates the replicants. We see Tyrell, Deckard, and Rachel, who I mentioned earlier, have an exchange in Tyrell's home office. Deckard was sent to Tyrell's home to use the lie detecting device on Rachel to see if she's, a, you know, an actual replicant. Spoiler alert, like I said earlier, this whole podcast is, you know, spoiled. So if you haven't seen the movie, I'd highly advise you not to keep listening further within this podcast. But if you want to, like I said, to hear my sexy voice, you know, that's I'll leave that to your at your discretion. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, I'm drinking coffee. So what? It's my show. I can do what I want. It probably sounds weird. I do apologize, I guess, but coffee's a good time. Especially at 11.32 at night. <laughs> Probably not the greatest idea. But yeah, he wanted to see if she was an actual replicant. And like I said, this is a spoiler. But after much interrogation on Deckard's end, he finds out, in fact, that she's an actual replicant. But it took him a while to do the questioning uh, and the interrogation. And Tyrell explains to Decker that she's an experiment who has been given false memories to provide more interactive human-like elements, which is completely mind-blowing. Are you kidding me? I, I don't even know how someone can make up something like this. This storyline is just incredible uh, from, you know, from an audience perspective, but, you know, for sure. It's just... I don't know. I've never really seen a movie like this. You know, I've seen Star Wars and all this, but this is like a different, whole nother different sci-fi movie, which is great. You know, I like that fact. I liked how we have different variables within sci-fi. You know, obviously, like I said, Star Wars and then Alien and Blade Runner and Star Trek, you know, it's just so, there's so many, The Thing, you know, I mentioned a few of those already, but it is pretty mind-blowing how this movie took place and like I said how the story was unfolded um but yeah it's just so kind of to break everything down at this point very quickly because I want to I know I've been going on for a while already but that uh you know Deckard has been summoned to hunt and destroy these four rogue replicants who I've already mentioned and these four replicants are just finding a way to elongate their life you know, so we find J.F. Sebastian has a genetic premature aging disorder, first of all. So this guy's already weird. Not really. That that sucks. I, I won't say I guess now he's not weird, but it's just he's very interesting from the get-go because he's, I don't know, he's depicted. You, you just have to see him. Um, they did a very great job with uh, the makeup within this movie as well. But... Yeah, he's actually a gifted genetic designer who works closely with Tyrell. And um, Pris, the pleasure model replicant, right? <laughs> Locates Shabastin. 
Sebastian, is it Seb- Sebastian? Sorry, I don't know why. Maybe it's because the coffee, but <laughs> it manipulates him to gain his trust. This is all happening when Decker finds Zora at her place of work, who like what I mentioned earlier when uh, you know Decker was able to to get her. Um, let's see. You know, after that confrontation, uh, we find Leon, right? is actually taken down by Deckard's love interest, who is Rachel. Uh, so, yeah, what, what's funny to me is the fact that she's just she just happens to, you know, appear when Deckard is about to die from Leon, and that's the famous tagline of him saying, wake up, time to die, you know? That, that tagline, that was... <laughs> I was like, I was, I was taken back by it for sure when I saw that and I heard it for the first time because he had, his eyes were already like kind of crazy as is. And I was like, what is going on with this guy? So I think that just kind of enhanced his character. So, you know, at this point we have two replicants to go. We have Roy and Pris, right? Roy Batty and then Pris, like I said, the pleasure model. We find them hiding out at JF Sebastian's apartment. And Decker wants to be done with this at this point. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I didn't want to do this mission to begin with. And so, you know, he has to investigate further, obviously, because he has two more replicants to go. And so he manages to make his way to JF's place where he inevitably ends Pris's life. Now, Pris, when he, like, just, like, nails her, uh, pretty sure he, he just shoots her uh, a few times, I believe. But how she spazzes out is very, ah, it's it, it's a sight to see. Let's put it that way. Because how she spazzes out and then she like does it even like, even more onto another extreme, it freaks you out. It really does. And I'm like, I kind of like almost want to turn away just because it's so weird to see. Um, but I mean, I guess from an acting standpoint, it's. She does a pretty good job because I'm sure that's probably what really Scott, you know, wanted. That's why it made it into the movie. But yeah, he, he pretty much. So at, at that point, I'm trying to, you know, gather my thoughts here. Roy Batty forces JF's hand to find a location or rather to find the actual location to Tyrell Corp or his actual penthouse. So they take a late night stroll there. And JF offer, offers up the gesture to play on a timely game of chess with Tyrell himself. Because I guess they're kind of going back and forth. and um, I, I've seen that before. And I actually used to know a guy, uh, Ben. He used to do that with his grandpa. Uh, he would write down, I guess, like the chess move he would write. And then he would send it to his grandpa. And then he would write it down. And then they would kind of keep track of that. Which I thought was pretty cool, actually. So... Uh, if Ben, if you're listening, just want to say hello and thank you for that little, I guess, life moment within my time that I've known you. But anyways, yeah, it's, so they're playing this chess game, right? And mainly he just, he's trying to, he just calls in with one move of queen to bishop six check, right? And then Tyrell then responds to knight takes queen, and then leaving somewhat, you know, JF is kind of taken back by that. He's in, you know, somewhat of a disarray. Roy actually whispers into JF's ear sub- subtly. 
and says bishop to king seven checkmate. And so to bring that together for you, Sebastian knew chess talk, in my mind anyways, would get access into C. Tyrell personally, and it obviously did. And after a while, trying to save his own life with Roy Batty as a pilot of this operation, you know, that's why he's doing all this, unfortunately, under without even Tyrell even realizing it until they get there. And so... I wanted the reason why I actually brought up the chess scene is because of how intense it was, the back and forth, and how they, like, the, how the director depicted it from angle to angle, and the shot to shot was, and I guess the pauses. It, it, it was a very intense scene because they're like, "What's gonna happen? You know, is Roy gonna inevitably kill Sebastian, or how they're gonna get up there?" And it was a really tense scene, but I enjoyed it. You know, he did they. Did a great job with that. Um, so, like I said, to bring this together is because they, you know, they make their way to see Tyrell, and Roy is demanding more life from his maker, who is obviously Tyrell. Tyrell obviously tells him it's impossible, and and you, it's unfortunately programmed. That's how they're programmed, and Roy is pretty upset at this point. And ends Tyrell's life by uh, none other than a kiss of death. And that is another scene that I was really, like, shocked and all. Because he just, like, planted a big one on him. And then just... That death scene, I will admit, that... That one made my stomach turn for sure. Uh, Just because of how everything went down. I don't want to really spoil that scene. Because if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. It'll definitely take you back because <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't know if I can continue on. But the movie's almost over at this point, and I kind of want to leave it off with, uh, yeah, pretty much Roy is realizing his body is slowly decaying at this point, and I guess he's he's, he's been kind of realizing this more and more as time goes by, and. Yeah, pretty pretty much they meet up at the end, Deckard and uh, Roy Batty, and he's he's saving his life in a sense because Deckard loses his grip on the building and it's pouring at this point, and he picks him up right, and they're supposed to have this main showdown. That's what you're thinking, anyways, from an audience standpoint. That's that's not the case at all. It is for a little bit. They have somewhat of a confrontation, but in the end, this is this is such a great moment. I think probably. I don't know if I would really consider. I mean, it is, it is kind of a climax within the movie, and it's more at the end of the movie. You know, I usually see climaxes at least within the middle, and then sometimes at the beginning. For instance, Empire. You know. That's you know Star Wars. I'm trying to think of the movie now. Not Shadows of the Empire. Empire Strikes Back. My God. That would have been almost embarrassing. Anyways, what I wanted to leave off with was this crazy, I guess, monologue, in a sense, of what um, Roy Batty was saying. And it was his, his, his famous tagline. I'll just go ahead and say it is all those moments will be lost in time. 
light tears in the rain. And I'm pretty sure within my research that was improvised. That's incredible. It really is. Uh, I don't know how you just pull something like that from the air, but he managed to do it. And so, yeah, I just wanted to uh, pretty much make episode four about Blade Runner. Like I said, especially for the mere fact that it does, in fact, take place this you know year and month. So why not? And I just want to thank you for tuning in again. And I'll see you next time for episode five. And always, always be kind and rewind. Thank you. Rewind is a product of Press Play to Continue. The show was produced by me, Corey Latimer. You can find me on Instagram at Corey with an E-Y and my Snapchat, C-O-R-E underscore L-A-T-I-028. As you know, all things Press Play to Continue are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash pressplay to continue. I'm internally grateful for your time, love, and support. Thank you.